You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 90 called 11 Teacher Practices to Prepare You for a Successful School Year. In this episode, we'll talk about an EdTech checklist that you can use when deciding what EdTech tools to invest time and possibly money into. We'll also share 11 practices that you can think about over the summer that will set you up for a successful school year. This is another episode you don't want to miss. Check it out. back with episode 90 i'm pumped uh, middle of the summer it hasn't been too hot the last couple of days but too hot is like anything over 90 we've been under that for the last couple of days it's been a cool break from the yeah. hot summer nick what what has been going on since our last recording two weeks ago what have you been up to what do you have coming up yeah, nothing new really besides prepping for, we're doing a little vacation this year. Our first one with a, let's see, Sylvia will be seven months old. We're going to um, Acadia National Park in Maine. If you've ever been, it's super great. I know it pretty well, but it's the first time we'll be making the 10 plus hour drive with a baby, an infant. So that's going to be interesting for sure. I don't know. Did you guys ever do a long car trip with the kids? <laughs> five hours. We we did five hour trips, uh, you know, at that age was was the max. And uh, yeah, and that was pretty it, tough. Yeah, it depends how, <laughs> how she does. And yeah. you'll know it within the first hour if you're going to be, uh, you know, in for a long haul there. We're uh, getting ready to go away, too. We're, uh, we're going to go camping with Three boys under the age of six. Well, six and under, Bo just turned six. But uh, I'm excited and scared at the same time. Yeah, that also sounds like a challenge for a lot of different reasons. My middle child is a wild child. I could see him like trying to slowly unzip the zipper of the tent all night. And then as soon as he gets enough room, he's off to the races. He's gone. (laughs) But that's, that's just his personality. The other two sleep like a log, but the middle one... He is, he's an adventurous soul. We'll just say that. Yeah, that's awesome. I wish I was going camping this summer too. That's the one thing that I'm missing out on. It's a, it's a great way to just kind of, I know we talked a little bit about separating from the tech and, and work, but no better way to do it than sleeping outside and waking up and popping open that tent. It's uh, one of the best feelings out there. Absolutely. So we have, I've been, I've been keeping it uh, purposely very light on the professional development side for the month of July. I know you have been too. I know in August, we're going to get back into it a little bit as far as the professional development. Uh, Maybe in our next episode, we'll have a couple that we're attending or presenting at for you. But today we're going to talk about two different things. The first one is the EdTech checklist. And and this one is basically, what do we look for in an EdTech tool before A, we recommend it, and B, we start using it ourselves in our classroom. And then we'll follow that up with, I believe there's 10 things or 11 teacher practices, 11 teacher practices that we thought of that we're going to start preparing ourselves for for the the new year that we could use all year long. And that's going to help us have a successful school year. And hopefully we'll cut down on some of the teacher stress that we have during the school year. And maybe you'll do the same. You can follow Got Tech outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at WeGotTech. 
let's get in this uh, segment two. We have uh, our EdTech checklist. These are things that we kind of just discussed before we uh, did the show, what we look for, and we made a, a list of them, and there's no better time than to go through it right now. So, Nick, why don't you get us kicked off? Yeah, this is a super helpful list. I don't, I don't know that I've seen anything like this out there before, but like you said, it is kind of what we go through. And this could be helpful for people, especially over the summertime, where you're trying to make decisions about what you're going to do for the coming school year. This is this could be a big uh, helpful part of the that decision making process. So the first thing we came up with, of course, is website. We want to make sure that there's a I mean, at least to me, this means like a quality website that you can tell is maintained and updated and it works and it's smooth and it looks professional. Uh, to me, that always hints then that uh, the product itself, whether that product is the website or an app or something you download, but that product itself is going to be equally professional and smooth and updated and works. So that's the first element on the list is the website. Yeah, it's it's we are judging a book by its cover on this one. It, yep. And it's purposeful because with EdTech, you want to make sure that they can work well within the EdTech space, and that includes the website. So if they don't, uh, it makes me doubt the product a little bit. And I will tell you that I will give some free passes to add-ons and extensions. Uh, they don't always have a website to go with their add-on or extension. That's a little different. But when we talk about a web-based app or something like that, website is a tall tale sign of whether that EdTech tool is going to be awesome or not. So the second one is social media. And social media tells us a lot. And I'm not just talking about that app or EdTech or websites, social media accounts. I'm also talking about the hashtags and the activity around that. So if you go onto their website, most of them have Twitter accounts or Instagram accounts or some type of social media. You click on that. You go in, you find out if they're using hashtags. If they are, you search that hashtag and you see what other people have to say about that tool. That is a big thing because most of the time when people go on Twitter, use that hashtag, they're users. And if they're users of that tool, they will give you better feedback than the solicited feedback that's on the website like the testimonials. The testimonial section kind of makes me chuckle when I look at you know any ed tech tool because it's almost like saying, hey, mom, write me something cool so I can put it on a the site. They're, they know who they're talking to. They want to get the best of the best. So you take that with a grain of salt. But social media, you will see true colors. So start following the tool a little bit with the hashtag. See their engagement, their interactivity. See if people are asking questions and if they're providing answers. All that's good stuff. Yeah, it also kind of lets you know a lot of the best tools have like giant groups of people that follow that tool and, and share ways that they are using it in their classroom. So if you see that uh, lots of teachers sharing thoughts, then you'll know that you've got something where a uh, resource you can tap and you've got a tool that's going to work great. The next thing on the checklist, number three, is kind of the most obvious one. It's got to be affordable. Um, I only pay for one ed tech tool and I talk about it all the time that is Screencast-O-Matic. Think for the year, it's 30, 40 bucks, whatever it is now for the pro plan. For the amount that I use it, it's worth it. You know, the monthly then boils down to super cheap. Uh, so that, like for me, is extremely affordable. So you have to weigh that cost versus use uh, for yourself and, and what you're going to use that for. Uh, also, keeping in mind that a lot of tools have a, a free version, and that might be enough for you too. So affordability 
an obvious one, but maybe the most important one on this list. All right, so the next one's compatibility, and this is a big blanket word here. It's going to cover a lot of things. Is it compatible with the devices that you use, that your students use? Does it follow uh, school code? For example, uh, at our school, we're FERPA COPA compliant, so oftentimes before I recommend anything, or if I do recommend something that is not FERPA compliant, I put a little disclaimer there. But with all tools that we recommend, you should definitely check to make sure that they follow your school code or or guidelines or whatever it may be. Yeah, compatibility too, just with your device. That's a big one. And it took me years to figure out when we switched to Chromebooks, you got to check everything, especially web-based things, because there's, you know, certain animation players Chrome just can't run. And especially in science, we have a lot of simulations uh, that just it stopped working there. And you kind of have to let those things go. And most importantly, prep for that because you don't want to be stuck with an activity using something online that does not work on your devices. So really super important there. The next one we've got is the audience. And that could mean a lot of things as well. Um, what comes to mind for me in this sense is how many students can use that tool? If it is indeed a student tool where the kids are going to be logging on, um, a lot of the times you know, you can sign up for free, but only get one class of 30 students where that might not work if you teach at a higher grade level and have 120 students. That's not going to fly for you. You might get that 120, but now you're in the affordability camp. You're going to have to pay for it. So you want to make sure uh, what type of audience or what type of class size this tool can accommodate. Yeah, and a lot of times with that, with the last couple of affordability and audience, you can get freemiums that will do you just just perfectly fine. So keep that in mind. There are a lot of tools out there that do a very nice job that if you want to have very limited accounts that you'll be able to stretch that over all of your classes. So they kind of go hand in hand. So the next one's learning curve. Nick and I both always say this. We like simple tools. We like simple tools that are intuitive to use that they do one one skill and they do it well. There aren't a lot of tools out there that have a lot of different, cover a lot of different facets uh, of education that we can use. Probably one of the better ones that I can think of is WeVideo. WeVideo does a lot of our creation things extremely well and it's extremely similar to use and it's all under the same editing kind of platform. So that's one that I could think of, but I like tools that do something extremely well. And we've mentioned uh, a couple of them, Edgy with their their feedback and peer editing. You have uh, Moat with their uh, auto recording feedback and their translation to text and all that good stuff. That's phenomenal. So there are there are tools out there that do a lot of simple things very, very well. And they're very intuitive to use. So those are a couple examples of what we look for in that category. I'm going to throw a couple others out um, with the intuitive use category. I always compare it to using an iPhone. An iPhone, I think, is maybe the best example of, and this could be any smartphone these days, but iPhones in particular, so complex and you can do almost anything and you need essentially zero training to use it. You open it up, it starts, you can see the apps, it's very clear. You touch an app to open it, and then the app guides you through from there. Super easy. And you can find similar things in a lot of the tools that guys just mentioned. Um, one that I think you, you missed is uh, our buddy Kyle Nemus's tool, Classroom Q. So intuitive. When you go to the website to use, it has one thing on the, the homepage, and that is a big, giant red button. 
or it might be blue now, I forget. Um, and you click that button to get started and, and essentially uh, raise your hand. There's like a class code thing you have to join with too, but so intuitive and simple. And, and the kids and teachers too need essentially no training. And sometimes that's tough to do depending on what the tool does, but that, there's a lot of them out there that accomplish it, super important. So that's just a couple other examples. The next one we've got, number seven, is just meeting the needs of who your students are and what your content area is. So the content piece may be more important at the higher grades. As you guys know, I teach science, so that's mostly what I'm interested in is tools that meet that need. Um, but this can also apply to, you know, what what level of student you're teaching and how many, you know, how many different needs have to be met in that classroom uh, within a range of categories. And you want to make sure to ch choose a tool that can actually, you know, do that and meet those needs. Yeah, for me, I don't really look for those uh, science-y apps. I want to look for content creation apps because you could always bring science content into those apps. There are a couple in science that I definitely go to, but for me, I'm, I'm looking, my needs are a little bit different because I want the students to go and try to figure what they want to create and how they want to work with the content. Uh, the next one is customization. So can I add my own questions? There are some ed tech tools out there that whatever you get is what you got. So you have to go in, you have to select certain things. There's no customization whatsoever. And I tend to stay away from those because as I said, I want things to be different. I don't like carbon copy, making everything look the same. I hate when my students uh, turn in something that looks exactly identical to the uh, previous student because one, it gets extremely boring and tedious for the teacher to keep looking at these. But two, I know they're more creative than that. And I think creativity helps uh, create a solid foundation of knowledge and being able to retain that knowledge over a period of time. So make sure that the EdTech tool can be customized and meet the needs, further meet the needs of what you're doing, such as adding your own questions, putting in your own, it might just be something to personalize it to the classroom or continue your brand, such as a, you know, a Bitmoji or, or some type of a phrase or a picture that you always put on yours. I know Nick uses a narwhal for everything. So that, that could be an example there, but you want to be able to customize it, make it your own. Yeah, and I saw this, I think, with, um, I can't remember the name now, I wish I could, um, like a comic strip builder years ago before EdTech stuff really took off. And it had no customization. You could only choose of like four different backgrounds and a few characters that you could get added in there. And it, it, it just was super boring because there's no way that you could make it your own, like add in your own picture or your own little characters somehow. So this comes up a lot of the time too with like, digital, uh, like a visual media creation. So you want to make sure that there's a way for you to do your own thing in there. Really that the creative juices flow, super important. Um, number nine on the list, also really important resources. How much PD is available for this tool? Um, most of the good tools have an entire section of their website dedicated to just that learning how to use it. And sort of like a very quick introductory video is the first thing I look for, just like a one to two minute shot of here's this tool, here's what it does, here's how to use it. A lot of the times that's all you need to get off and running. Uh, but then they have often different academies or groups, maybe even a course that you can sign up for. Um, and even you can earn badges to get uh, yourself very well acquainted with that tool and become like a pro 
and, and they give you like a little digital badge to account for that. All of these things to me are great signs that people are going to like it because they can really get into it and learn how to use it. Um, and a lot of that stuff, if it's not on the website, we can click back to number two, our social media item on the checklist. And you can find that stuff on, on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok as well. So resources and PD, a huge one to look for for a quality tool. The last one is support. And this is a big one for me. I, I want to be able to make sure that I can contact whoever I need to contact to answer any type of questions. So oftentimes when we're looking at tools, I will send something to support to see how quickly they get back. It might just be a simple question, or I might just ask them if they have some type of a flyer or anything like that, that I could share with my teachers. And oftentimes they do, and they send it. It's like a very short how to use guide, how to get started. It's one page and it's awesome. So if you could get those types of resources, that's great. But support is key because me personally, I could figure some things out, but sometimes when I have a specific use, I want to use it for, and I want to find out if I could somehow customize something to meet my needs, I'll just throw it straight to support, especially if it's something I'm working on now, but it's not due until down the road. Uh, that way, I'm not using my valuable time trying to figure out something for a specific use when one of their professionals can just tell me. Uh, I don't always do this, obviously. I, I do like to figure out things on my own. And that's one of the things with EdTech that I really enjoy. But having that support system behind you that is responsive and quick to get back to you is very, very, very important. Even in a big part of support, too, that people don't always think about. And this is a good sign of a really high quality tool, uh, not necessarily just getting help, but the tool then getting help from the users. So listening to the suggestions that teachers have, um, I think it's, it's one of the smartest things that an ed tech tool can do. And a lot of the good ones, that's what they do. And that's their, you know, their product development team are teachers themselves. So if you can find a place on their website where there's a community of teachers talking about the tool, making suggestions, and that tool then adjusting itself to meet those needs, um, I think that's awesome. I mean, we use a tool known as OnCourse for our learning management system and say what you will about it. They are very good, or at least historically have been very good at the users saying, hey, we need this different. We need this changed. And, and they'll do that. And I think that's a, a really strong sign. And I'm, I'm going to lump that in with the support category if you think it goes there, too. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great example, because uh, I think you hit that one on the head, because they do a wonderful job at either making the changes that teachers want for that LMS or explaining why they can't. Because yes. sometimes a tool is, is, is larger than just an individual user. And if they make changes, it will affect everyone's experiences on a, a greater scale. So they do a great job uh, really explaining that as well. So that's going to end that segment. Let's get right into our next one. We have 11 different teacher practices that you can start thinking of. They're not really just teacher practices. They're, they're strategies to use in the classroom. So we're going to go over 11 of them. Uh, we'll be very quick on these just to give you enough to kind of, you know, get your creative juices flowing. 
Uh, we'll link some examples that we have in ours. I'll go first with our first one. And this is something you and I both love, and these are choice boards. So we have several different examples of choice boards that we've come up with. Uh, our most recent one was a choice pyramid, which we will link in there. And this has a slide deck with it. And this is based on creativity. All right, so we have four different layers to our pyramid. The first one's how they get their research or how, how they get their knowledge on a topic. Then they're going to plan some way of showing that knowledge. The third one is carrying out that plan. And the fourth one is having some type of reflection or, or meeting with the teacher. So that's an awesome one. We throw in podcasting. We throw in, I don't know, storyboards. We throw in a whole bunch of different activities. We have one, Stephanie Howe. She's a friend of the podcast. She's an amazing educator. She also made uh, Choice Pyramid um, using different activities. So we'll link that one there. Got to give a shout out to Stephanie uh, for that because it's also very, very amazing. I think she took the choice pyramid to the next level. And then we could also go with our tried and true ones, which are uh, learning menus and tic-tac-toe choice boards. They also work and they're, they're very uh, favorable within your classes and your students really like them. Yeah, I love to do this kind of thing over the over the summer. It's a great time to just set those choice boards up. So they're there and you can use them throughout the year. The second thing we've got on the list, it has to do with organization and curation. What better time uh, than the summer to sort of prep for all that organization? So the classic tool here would be Wakelet, of course, where you can curate your class resources and set up a space where the kids know they can go to find things that they can get help with studying or homework or projects or whatever it might be. A big part of this for me, and I think for a lot more teachers this coming year, I believe it's this year, uh, would be setting up your Google folders. Um, I believe, and you can tell me if I've got this wrong, but I believe uh, that if you are a Google school for the first time, Google is starting to charge districts for storage space on the Google Drive. So where in the past, um, we've been able to make copies of documents and save things, at least for me, almost without regard at all to how much space it's taking up. Uh, we've always kind of been given the impression that there is unlimited space. Uh, there might still be unlimited space, but your school is going to have to pay for it. So I have a feeling it will no longer be unlimited space because of that. Uh, so I'm going to have to pay a lot more attention to my Google folders and how I store things, what I store getting organized, and definitely, for me, this is a summertime task. Is that true? The Google uh, storage thing, they're going to start charging for that, right? Yeah, I mean, there's different plans for each district, so it depends on what plan your district chooses. Uh, so that is 100% correct. Uh, I want to throw another one in there. I'm going to do this for the first time. Uh, we have a new course that we are, you and I are both co-teaching, along with another teacher, Jeff Loesch, who's been on the podcast a couple of times. Uh, this one's called World Ready Technology, where students are going to learn how to do research, how to plan their own podcasts or YouTube channels or blogs or vlogs, anything that they want to do there. They have a lot of creative choice there. But I want to make a class handbook of the tools that I would recommend for certain skills. All right, and in this class handbook, it will have that one to two minute video on what the tool does. And then I will make a little training video to perform basic skills or at least give them an overview of where they can find things within that tool or what the capabilities are of that tool. And then finally, a resource uh, 
area where I could drop, if they have an academy or a whole bunch of videos with skills, I could put that in there as well. You and I have been creating a lot of QR codes that link up to YouTube videos that do skills such in, as in uh, Photoshop or Audacity or uh, Adobe Premiere. So we've been finding these one to three minute videos on a particular skill that they might want to use. We make a QR code and we have a big poster board on a wall that they could go up and they find the skill that they need. They use their phone, they do the QR code and they watch that as they're working on it within their project. So these two things kind of go hand in hand. Maybe we could put a micro version of this in this handbook. But this is definitely something that I want to use because a, it, it kind of allows me to reflect on what tools I'm using and how many. So I'm not really overwhelming the uh, students with new tools every single day or every single week. But B, it's also keeping me contained within a, a certain number of tools. All right, If the students have one that they want to use, let them go use it. The support is on them. That's what I always tell them. But these are the tools that you know I know are tried and true, that they will work. It still gives you creative choice and, and the ability to customize what you want to customize, but it's not the all be all. So if they want to go outside that, as long as it's uh, school appropriate, I say go for it. I'll support you in any way that I can. But I think this class handbook, what that's going to do is save us time throughout the whole year explaining how to use certain tools. Now they can just go and they could take, maybe that's their homework for a day. We're going to be working with this tool. Watch these five videos at, you know, total 10 minutes of your time. So when we get in here, it's not a how-to session. It's go and get ready and prepare all your content. Yeah. So if you're, if you get sort of tired of once the year starts up answering the same question over and over again, for students or showing them how to use something over and over again, you're going to want to do this and turn it into a little instructional video or even like an infographic, throw that up on a QR code or someplace the kids can get it in the room itself. I love this idea. And I think that's something that needs to get built into my classroom for sure. And I can't wait to do it. Um, I'll introduce this next one and then let you give some examples. I think, um, this is something I want to do a lot more research on uh, called Edu Protocols. And if you head to eduprotocols.com slash free hyphen templates, um, you can really get a good sense for what these things are. You can think about them as essentially pre-made little lesson packets for you, literally ready to go from the teacher directions to the student work and what they'll do and, and how they do it uh, all set up for you. Um, but there's a lot more to it than that. And you'll see what I mean if you go there. Uh, we pulled out a, a couple examples that we think are particularly cool. Do you want to talk about those for people? Yeah, and really, these could go in your class handbook, too. Any practice that, that you use over and over throughout the school year, you could throw it, an example in there, uh, a template, if you will, uh, a sample, and be like, hey, if you want to know what I'm after for this, see the example on page 34. You can do that. But Edu Protocols, the two that I kind of selected that piqued my interest were the Sketch and Tell, but I would probably change it a little bit. So Sketch and Tell is basically students draw pictures of a process or something that you're working with in class, and then they write and, and uh, tell you a little bit about that. And I think this is awesome. 
uh, I would do the sketch on one side and have them tell on the back. And the reason why I would do this is I would gamify it a little bit and I would put them, tell them to do the sketch on the front and leave that face up and the tell on the back. But I would have students go around just based on the sketch to see if they could do the tell. And then at the end of the class period, I would say, hey, uh, you have 20 seconds to, to do the tell on your sketch and have people say whether or not they got it correct or not. I think that's just another way of gamifying the classroom with one of these uh, edu protocols. And I think that would make it absolutely amazing. The uh, second template that I chose was Book Kucha. And it's just because I really like Pecha Kuchas uh, that we went over, I don't know, it seems like a couple years ago now. So Pecha Kucha is 20 slides, 20 seconds per slide total what is it, six minutes or something like that for the whole presentation. It's a Google slide presentation. There's no words. You could use graphs, charts, pictures. Uh, there could be words if there's a quote, but you don't really read the quote if you're presenting. Uh, basically, everything behind you is supposed to help tell the story that the person is presenting without giving any words on the slide. So people are paying attention to the presenter and also the pictures that are on the on the Google Slides. So a book at Kucha is kind of the same thing. There's pictures in the background, but a student is putting these pictures there to resemble themes within that book. So they have some type of free reading, or it could be in the class book if you want. And they have to identify different themes within that book, maybe the antagonist, protagonist, the climax, any cliffhangers, those types of things. And basically every week, they have to add to their book of Kucha until they're done. And then the teacher provides a due date, and then they have these different, uh, you can do them as screencasts, you can do them as live uh, presentations, but each student would have to go through it. Me personally, I think I would do them as screencasts and have uh, all these screencasts put onto a Google site or shared within a Google Drive, and then I would tell students that they had to watch three of their peers and provide feedback uh, to those to those students. But both of these are awesome. You can make anything you want. I know there's like food bingo. There's there's a whole bunch of different ones that you can do. And they're not supposed to always take a long amount of time. I like to stretch them out if I could gamify them. But for the most part, sometimes these are just like five or ten minute you know activities that you do very very quickly, and that's the point of them. But if you can sketch them out, make them your own, by all means, go do it. Yeah. So again, head, head to eduprotocols.com slash free hyphen templates to find great examples and get a sense of those really exciting stuff. Um, the next two things on the list, so four and five, I'm going to do them together uh, because they're pretty similar. These are exit tickets in do now. So if you want to set those up over the summertime, any kind of templates that you're going to use, uh, of course, I'm doing digital versions of these now. So I kind of have like a little exit ticket template that I have ready to go on a Google slide. You can make that so it's there for you. And then all you have to do is personalize it in the morning before that class and figure out how you're going to share it. So you can get those exit tickets set up uh, personal reflection style. Think about what types of things your students are going to be reflecting on. You can have those uh, all, all ready to go. Uh, the slip and go style. So, you know, you have to answer this question on a little slip of paper and hand it to me before you leave uh, or the digital version where they have to submit something 
to you digitally before they can leave. Pretty much the same deal. You want to set all those up ahead of time. And then in terms of do nows, I know it's a big push, at least in science, to sort of teach in this phenomena first style. If you are a science teacher, you might know this as the next generation science standards, where instead of doing all this science teaching first and then say, here's the demonstration of how it works, you start with the demonstration. It sort of piques the student's interest and curiosity, gives them that hook. Um, and this can apply and should apply not just to science. Any teacher could use this strategy by you know, starting with the cool part first and then going into the background explanation afterwards. Um, I do know that there's a really awesome uh, sort of database or, or bank of NGSS style phenomena that teachers can use. Now, this will be for science specifically. Um, that link is in the show notes. It's at ngssphenomena.com. So if you want to sort of get into that, you can plan those out now and make sure you know what phenomena you're going to use. Um, I would say think inquiry as you do this. You want to get those students asking questions. And that's a great thing to prep over the summertime. You got your question of the days, get your students involved in this, and they can be the ones that create your class openers. It doesn't have to be a do now. Maybe each day students present a different fact that they found about the period of history that you're teaching or a cool different math problem that they can solve with the skill you've been learning that week, something to involve the students in that, that sort of class opener. Um, there's lots of stuff there that you can do ahead of time. So it's ready to go for the school year. So I, I covered a lot there. Um, what did I miss from exit tickets and do nows? Anything? Well, one thing that I like to do with the do nows is I like to print all my do nows out at the beginning of the year. So I do my lesson plans a little bit different than most. I think what I do is I start a Google Doc. That's how I started uh, my digital lesson plans. And what I will do is every single topic has a lesson number. Now, I don't go in order of, so lesson one, I might teach the first day of school. Lesson three, I could teach whenever I want. It gives me a lot of flexibility, but it also eliminates me from having to go back and do the same lesson uh, the next year when I teach it in a different order. All right, I'll just explain this a little bit because I think it's a time saver. I go into Google Docs, I do each unit, I break out all the topics I wanna teach, and then I have the standards underneath them, and I have all my objectives, my learning activities, everything that you need in your traditional lesson plan, and I just keep going. Uh, at the top, I create a table of contents so I could get to each lesson. Okay, so I, I give each lesson a name. So if I'm working with water properties in the chem unit, my, my lesson will be, it will say lesson one, water properties. Okay, and then that way, whenever we have to digitally upload all our lesson plans somewhere, uh, all I need to do for that day is create a hyperlink to all my lesson plans, which will stay the same throughout the whole year. And then all I have to do is put in there lesson 27. So my supervisor can go click that link and find lesson 27 and there it is. Anytime I need to make changes to my lesson plan, I go into my master list there and I make changes. So if something doesn't work, that's fine. I'll go in there, I'll make changes for next year. All right, but this ties into my questions of the day because for each one of those lessons, I make a question of the day, part of my lesson plan. And then I will go and I will put those, all those uh, questions into a Google slide. I will change the 
um, size of the Google slide to meet my needs. And then I will go print them all out and I will put them on a ring binder. So what I did is I would either laminate them or put them on cardstock. Usually I put them on cardstock and I put them in these uh, individual rings that I bought at a craft store. So I have this whole list of questions of the day up front. One of my students, it's their job each day to come in and flip the, the question of the day and we're off to the races. You know, that's it. It's very little work. I do the preparation one time and I have it for the rest of my teaching career. With those rings, you can take questions in or you could add questions in, take questions out. So that's where I was going with that. Uh, hopefully that, that came full circle and made sense. Yeah, I wasn't sure you were going to be able to do it, but you definitely did. And I love that idea, too. It's really smart. Uh, number six on the list is uh, our wheelhouse, for sure, especially yours, gamification. Um, I love this first idea we've got uh, called Puzzle Friday. And, and you can substitute out any word you want there. It doesn't have to be puzzle. The kids love when Friday, in particular, um, is a thing. Make Fridays a thing, whether it's puzzles uh, some kind of demonstration that they can look forward to. It really turns your class into something fun, and 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 summertime's a great time to figure that out. If you're not going to do Fridays, you can just have any kind of daily routine. We've talked about uh, graph a day before. There's lots of places online where you can find sort of cool, engaging graphs that relate to whatever your subject area is, and you can share those and have the kids analyze them and talk about them and start the discussion of the day. Um, so I, I really like that one. And obviously under the umbrella of gamification, those are two just very specific ideas and there's tons you could explore there. Yeah. I love escape rooms, but I, I realize that I don't always have the time to make, right. Usually it's five, six different puzzles to make that escape room, but I do have time to make a puzzle working with content once a week or once every other week. So that's why I put puzzle Friday there. Uh, I, I think that's a it's a it's a great opportunity to take advantage of gamification in a very simplistic way. Uh, graph a day. I know there's people out there on Twitter, on social media. They'll post a graph a day um, that you'll be able to use in the classroom. I don't care what the content area is. Graphs help students retain information. So if you can make up a graph, it doesn't matter. You can make your own graph. But every graph tells a story. So if you could get your students to tell the story of the graph without saying a word to them, they're going to remember that stuff and it's going to be more meaningful. And if you can connect it to your content, then you're really taking it to the next level. All right. Our next one is classroom social media. And social media is a great thing because parents want a one-stop shop to go find out uh, what they need with your class. All right. So it will never be a one-stop shop for the high school social media because not every high school teacher is going to do that. But if you're an elementary school teacher, or there are some cases, uh, if you're a team in a, a middle school, like our middle school have teams, well, maybe teachers can all post content within that team on one social media you know, blanket or something like that. There are different ways around it, but just being able to keep the parents in the loop, the students in the loop, if both the parent and the student know that there's a test next Friday, well, well, that helps get everyone on board. It holds the student accountable because there's two people communicating that information. Uh, that being the parent could take a look and, and help support the kid at home and the teacher could do it from, from the classroom. 
So I think the, the social media component is huge because of that communication piece, but they're also have the ability to embed your social media feed onto your website. So you could put it even on your website to cover the people that don't have social media accounts. And it gives you this big opportunity to maintain branding within your classroom. So if they see your, your brand on there, it, it gives you more clout as a teacher. It, it makes you look a little bit more professional. I'm not saying you can't look professional without social media, but I'm saying I think it does help in that way, especially if you're a young teacher pulling out all the you know stops to make sure uh, you're giving your students the best uh, tools to succeed. You can also, you know, over the summer as you're setting this up, decide if you want to go down the road of branding your material. You certainly don't have to. I, I only wanted to mention it because it's it's a big thing for teachers now. And a lot of them sort of want that to be a part of it. And not only am I sharing class information here, uh, but I'm also sharing stuff with the world to use. And you want to make sure that you have something in mind for your class social media account and sort of what you want it to be. And so it doesn't have to be that, but it can. The next one, number eight, um, is is a quick one. And that is, of course, getting your classroom set up with graphic organizers and posters and whatever you want to have hanging in the room. Um, and maybe you're making that stuff from scratch yourself using Canva for education, Adobe Spark or Visme, 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 I'm still unsettled on that. Uh, but a lot of these places you can go and they have editable templates that you can use and really tailor stuff to your room specifically, but still have it look like a really professional poster that you bought from somewhere. Um, then you can save that, download it, maybe get it printed at your school if you're lucky enough to have a large scale poster printer or take it somewhere to get printed out. Um, the quality is gonna be great and you might even save money compared to buying posters you know, from some kind of like a school, uh, like an ordering system where they've got these things pre-made. So I love this one for the summertime. And I think it actually leads to the ninth one too. So if you don't mind, I'll go straight into that. And then it's just getting your, you know, your classroom set up and making it as interactive and engaging as possible. We've got some ideas here. I'll just blast them out and you can step in afterwards. Um, one that I really like that I haven't embraced yet is posting QR codes around the room uh, that the kids can scan sort of whenever they want. I like the free form use of that, that have different things, maybe a problem to solve, maybe extra credit, maybe an activity to do, um, maybe just something weird and goofy that you want them to see. And if you've really got time, you can make a bunch of these things and rotate them out as the year goes on. So the kids don't just scan them all once. They have an incentive to keep checking as the year goes on, because maybe you've put up a different one with a new question or video or problem or extra credit or whatever it is. Love that idea. Um, make that seating flexible if you can. Think about your plan and how that's going to work. Different spaces for different activities. You know, in a science room, I don't have a whole lot of flexibility with that myself. But I think in the elementary world, you can have like a little comfortable sitting space and a reading space, whatever it is. And there's lots of people out there that know a lot more about that than me. But I love that idea. Um, even at our high school, we've seen a lot of stuff with lighting. Teachers that leave the overhead bright fluorescent lights off and they just bring in like comfy lighting that you might actually use in your house and, and get that environment and as warm and inviting as possible. Tons of ideas there uh, just to prep your classroom basically. So what, what did we miss? I love it. It's all good. I, I think, uh, I think the flexible classroom is something that 
has been around now for a couple of years and it's paying dividends rather than having your kids in, in rows. But sometimes it's just not available to certain teachers. So I would also add there to explore the outdoor classroom. There's plenty of ways to go outside and find a different learning area that might be more comfortable for your students and give you know a sense of breaking up the monotony of the classroom. So the next one is a huge topic. I'm just going to list uh, the two different types and give you some tools of each one of them. These are assessments, both formative and summative assessments. Uh, for formative assessments, there are a lot of different ways that you can get data very, very quickly and give students near instant or instant feedback. These tools include, but are not limited to, GimKit, BlueKit, uh, Quizzes, Quizalyze, Quizlet, and then you could also do some type of um, formative assessment, which could be some audio recordings, personal reflections. Uh, students can make uh, websites based on their topics. Going with the website theme, you could also do e-portfolios for each student. I've now done this twice. And especially if you have some type of end of the year exam uh, in your subject area, if you're an AP course, or if students have finals, I think this is a great way to keep students organized. They don't need to have every little thing that they've done every single uh, for every single topic or chapter for the whole year. They just need to have some main components there to help them take away big ideas. Uh, they could do a uh, slide show and tell. Uh, we called this, uh, what was the, the Google slide uh, interactive? Uh, thing that we did, the uh, gallery walk, Google yeah, Slides gallery walk. You can right. put that in there. I've seen people use Jamboard with this as well for that same thing where you assign a group, a small group of students or each individual student, a slide or a Jamboard, and they have to basically customize it, make it their own, and have some type of gallery walk at the end where they, they walk through and they see each other's work. And that brings up our last one, which is feedback. So feedback is huge in education. Over the last year and a half since COVID hit, feedback is probably the number one most important skill for a teacher to have and to incorporate in their school, in my opinion, uh, just because that is what's going to help students build on what they already knew and also identify and alleviate any misconceptions out there. So you could do this by having different audio recordings. If it's something in Google, uh, we use Moat for that. You could have rubrics, which you can then meet with students in small groups or individually and go over what they did well, what they need to improve on. And then finally, you could do peer feedback. Peer feedback can be done in multiple ways. Uh, you can use Google Slides and share it out with everybody and give everyone uh, comment rights on it. You'll be able to leave comments for, for student work. You could also use programs like Edgy Notes, which does the same thing and makes it a little bit more interactive so students can see where other students are commenting on that individual piece of work. Yeah, so that's our list of 11 things that you can think about over the summer to help prepare for a successful class. I know that I feel inspired uh, and have lots of things that I think I should be get, getting into. Again, these are just, and it kind of came out of us in recent episodes talking about ways that you can use your summertime to think about these big picture things. This is sort of a more specific take on that. So I hope that the listeners found something helpful here from this list. I know that there's a ton of stuff that I would be interested in myself. 
And I believe that wraps up the episode too. So let's just close out by saying uh, that you can find Got Tech tons of places and please go there and subscribe to us if you like us. And if you're a listener, those places, of course, anywhere you get podcasts like Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or even YouTube, where you can find a lot of our episodes along with other great stuff. If you're into social media, we're on Twitter at Nick Got Tech at Geist Got Tech or the show's Twitter handle at We Got Tech. If you really want to help out, you can write us an Apple podcast review. That would be fantastic. And as always, most importantly, just tell your friends about the educational podcasting world. And if you're going to do that, why not throw in their uh, got tech and let them know that we're out here every two weeks, pushing out episodes every two weeks without fail for 90 episodes now. I can't believe it. So please do that for us. And then also head to gottech.com for show notes and all kinds of other great stuff. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Tech on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geist and I individually at Geist Got Tech and at Nick Got Tech on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Tech. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.